Welcome to Wellversed, where we bring biblical principles of governance to governmental leaders and you. This is the Wellversed podcast. We are very honored to have with us a dear friend of ours. I think he's been on the broadcast before, Eric Stackelback. Many of you uh, know him. Eric is a host and correspondent for TBN. Eric anchors daily news updates, hosts TBN primetime news special, and also the Watchmen show. His cutting edge uh, uh, newscast focuses on Israel, the Middle East. Very, very accurate, very uh, knowledgeable about what's going on. It's an honor to have you with us, Eric. Thank you for joining us. Mario, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Um, Always a lot going on in Israel. Um, so I just want to give you a little time just to to, to unpack everything that, that we see happening right now and where do you think it's heading? Yeah, a perfect time, Mario, for a Middle East briefing for all of our prayer warriors and intercessors on the call right now. Uh, number one, obviously, the most immediate thing happening right now is Israel's operation in Gaza against Palestinian Islamic Jihad. Now, this operation is called Shield and Arrow. It launched yesterday, Tuesday, May 9th, and it really seems to have taken Islamic Jihad, the Iranian proxy, by surprise. Israel, through airstrikes, eliminated three top Islamic Jihad commanders. Now, these were big fish. One of them was the commander of Islamic Jihad operations in northern Gaza. The other was a part of Islamic Jihad's military council, its military leadership, and the third directed Islamic Jihad activities in the West Bank. I like to refer to the West Bank as Judea and Samaria. That's what the Bible calls it. I think that's a pretty good gauge of how to uh, name it. Judea and Samaria, Islamic Jihad operations there, in particular in Nablus and Janine. So these three Islamic Jihad terror commanders were eliminated. It seems to have taken the group by surprise, and Israel followed that with airstrikes against Islamic Jihad targets. Now, uh, many in the EU are howling about this, and in Washington, D.C., acting like Israel just carried out these strikes in a totally unprovoked manner. They seem to forget or have pretty short memories about what went down last week when, yes, Islamic Jihad launched over 100 rockets out of Gaza at Israel. Now, a lot of people were scratching their heads last week and saying, why didn't Israel have a more uh, forceful response? Israel needs to reestablish deterrence. The Netanyahu government obviously had something up its sleeves and it waited a few days and it unleashed on Islamic Jihad yesterday. Now, what's been the aftermath? It seemed, again, Islamic Jihad was taken by surprise. We didn't see we knew retaliation was coming, a response from Gaza. We didn't see the automatic response. The, the rocket barrages we've sadly grown so accustomed to right away. It took a while, but yes, today, Wednesday, May 10th, Islamic Jihad began firing rockets. And as you and I are talking, Mario, they haven't stopped yet. Over 400 rockets by last count have been launched towards Israel from Gaza. Now, key phrase there towards Israel. I didn't say over 400 rockets struck Israel. The good news is, on Israel's side, that Iron Dome, that godsend, I believe quite literally, has intercepted a good number of these incoming rockets. Second, and much more unfortunately, 
uh, for the people, the civilians, the women and children in Gaza, dozens of these rockets have fallen inside of Gaza. Now, we saw this back in May 2021 when Israel had a major engagement against Hamas. This time it's Islamic Jihad, but the outcome is the same in that these Palestinian terror groups launch rockets out of Gaza, and many of them never cross the border into Israel. They fall inside of Gaza, strike homes and businesses and people walking down the street there, and they kill Palestinian civilians. So Israel calls this, and rightly so, I believe, a double war crime. These terror groups in Gaza are intentionally targeting Israeli civilians, and they're also targeting, and they may say, we didn't mean to, well, too late, the damage is done. They are also targeting Palestinian civilians, and they do mean to. And I say that because they willfully use women and children as human shields on a regular basis, whereas the Israel Defense Forces, if you want to know the main difference as the likes of the UN, the EU, try to draw a moral equivalency these past few days between Israel and terror groups, whereas these terror groups use civilians as human shields, the IDF presents themselves as human shields to guard civilians, not only Jewish civilians in Israel, but Arab civilians as well. Right now, uh, Hamas has not gotten involved, more on that in a minute, but the talk now is, is a ceasefire coming. Egypt is feverishly reportedly trying to broker a ceasefire between Israel and Islamic Jihad. Now, Israel has continued these airstrikes, dozens against Islamic Jihad rocket launching pads and also uh, mortar launching sites. But something to keep in mind here is that these rockets have reached not only southern Israel, Steyrot, Ashkelon, which is bad enough, those beautiful communities in southern Israel, but they've also targeted Tel Aviv. And that's when that happens, it's always a game changer in that some 70 to 75% of the Israeli population lives in and around that Tel Aviv metro area. So they've reached as far as Tel Aviv. Iron Dome, thankfully, has done its job, but is a ceasefire coming? As night falls in Israel, many times these terror groups ramp up their attacks overnight when Israelis are in bed. But you would think that Islamic Jihad will be clamoring sooner or later, probably sooner than later, for a ceasefire. I think a few options we're looking at here. Number one, and probably the most likely, is a ceasefire. Israel may say, we accomplished what we set out to do. We established or reestablished deterrence with Islamic Jihad. We hit them and hit them hard. They're licking their wounds. They're going to want to lay low for a while. And Israel could say, mission accomplished. Okay, we'll agree to a ceasefire. Secondly, could we see an escalation between Islamic Jihad and Israel? I don't think Islamic Jihad wants to stretch this thing out too much longer than two or three days. We had a similar outburst in August 2022 between Islamic Jihad and Israel, and Islamic Jihad was begging for a ceasefire relatively quickly. Islamic Jihad doesn't have the capabilities that Hamas does, its fellow Iranian-backed terror group operating in Gaza. Again, I mentioned May 2021, Hamas stretched that conflict out for 11 days against Israel and did a lot of damage in places like Ashkelon with these rocket barrages. Islamic Jihad, while it works in tandem with Hamas many times, at the end of the day does not have the capabilities that Hamas does. So they would want, I would think, a ceasefire sooner rather than later, unless, and this is the third option, 
This broadens to include Iran and its proxies. I call it the ring of fire that surrounds Israel on all sides, whether it's Hamas and Islamic Jihad in Gaza, Hezbollah in southern Lebanon, those various Shia militias in Iraq and Syria, even the Houthis far to the south in Yemen, armed to the teeth with tens of thousands of rockets and missiles and attack drones. Does Iran make the call to activate the entire ring of fire? Probably unlikely this time around. That day is coming, and we know it's coming, and the IDF, in talking to them when I'm in Israel uh, covering this for the watchmen, they say, look, it's a question not of if, but when, uh, and we know that. Is this the moment Iran does it? Probably not, but we did see another dry run of sorts a few weeks ago during Passover when over a 48-hour period, we saw rockets launched at Israel from Gaza, Syria, and Lebanon almost simultaneously, and that was a sad preview of things to come at a later date. Now, Prime Minister Netanyahu said yesterday, look, he said exactly that. We need to be prepared for a multi-front war. Does another ring in this ring of fire ignite in the next few days? Perhaps. Perhaps Hamas, not out of Gaza, but out of southern Lebanon, fires rockets, God forbid. But we know that Hamas also is operating in southern Lebanon as well under Hezbollah's watchful eye. So a lot of moving parts here. A ceasefire seems to be the most likely outcome. But folks, uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet the house on it if I was a betting man. And I would say expect the unexpected in the Middle East. We know that multi-front war is eventually coming. And you may say, oh, my word, this is horrible. All these things are happening. Oh, gosh, here's the good news. God Almighty still, yes, still sits on the throne. He is in control when it comes to his people, his land. He neither slumbers nor sleeps, which brings me to the last point. Then we'll get to Q&A with Mario. A mighty prayer movement, a global movement of God is stirring right now for such a time as this. And I believe the timing is no coincidence. The Isaiah 62 prayer and fasting movement, it just began on May 7th. It will last through May 28th. The last day is Pentecost, a 21-day movement of prayer and fasting for Israel. Our friend Mike Bickle from the International House of Prayer in Kansas City is spearheading this. Some 5 million Christians around the world, at least, and Jews as well, are involved in this, and it's growing. It's a global movement, and the timing is no coincidence. This was planned for a few months to begin on May 7th, and Israel essentially is in a mini war uh, on May 9th. So the timing is no coincidence. Israel needs this prayer now more than ever, not only with the in external enemies, but with internal dissension and protest and political upheaval in Israel continuing. And by the way, a key point to remember there, Israel's enemies see what they consider a house divided right now. And Netanyahu said yesterday, no, we stand as one against these external threats. But Israel's enemies, I'm sad to say, are, are salivating right now at the prospect of Israel divided, and they're growing emboldened. All that to say this global prayer movement uh, couldn't come at a better time. And Mario, that's kind of uh, a brief overview of what's going on. Never a dull moment, as you can tell, in the world's most chaotic and strategic region, the Middle East. 
Amazing. I do have a couple questions before I go into that. Um, real quick, if you can let people know, number one, how, how to connect with you, how to follow your broadcasts on a daily basis. Number two, the Isaiah 62 movement. I know that churches, movements, uh, organizations are signing up to pray and fast at least one hour a day for Israel between now and Pentecost. How do they sign up for that? Yeah, two things. Number one, uh, you can watch the Watchman Show on TBN every Thursday and Friday. And the easiest way is probably go to just our YouTube channel. We've got over 600,000 subscribers. Hard to believe. Watchman, M-A-N, WatchmanTV.com. It's WatchmanTV.com. And my daily commentaries are there on all these issues, breaking news, and also episodes of the Watchman TV show where we're on the ground in Israel on a regular basis and points beyond in the Middle East. Secondly, uh, Isaiah62fast.com, Isaiah62fast.com uh, to link up with this uh, great prayer movement that's going on right now. Thank you. All right, let's turn to Iran, which is the agitator of all things. Um, I, I thought in one of your recent broadcasts, you said that they're already nuclear capable or just any minute now. Please explain that. Also, um, Israel can't allow that to happen. Uh, Israel potential preemptive strike. And then number three, uh, we've never, I think, had such tense relationships. Although it was very tense with President Obama, I think the current administration right now, we're having so much problems in so many areas. Israel being at the forefront, as you said, I think um, our enemies see all those weaknesses, not just the internal uh, strife and the governmental issues uh, with Netanyahu, but the fact that we don't know whether the current administration is truly an ally of Israel, but focus primarily on Iran. Yeah, uh, number one, Mario, I'll take the first one. Uh, Iran does not have the bomb yet. They're working feverishly to acquire nuclear weapons. Two things to remember there. They're close, as you said, very, very close, too close, much too close. Last week, I reported that Yoav Gallant, uh, Israel's defense minister, he was visiting Greece, meeting with leaders there, and he said, look, Iran, if it so chooses, key point there, if it so chooses, it has enough enriched uranium right now to build not one, but five nuclear bombs. So Mario, as you said, they're close. If they want to break out, they have the capabilities to do just that. They have the assets, they have enough enriched uranium. That's the second point. Iran right now, according not to Yoav Gallant, the Israeli defense minister, but according to the UN, which is not exactly hawkish when it comes to Iran's nuclear program, Iran right now, not to get too in the weeds, Iran is enriching that uranium to an 84% clip. Now, to break this down in layman's terms, to build a bomb, you must enrich uranium at a 90% clip. Iran's at 84%, awful close. Again, if they want to break out, if they want to make that jump and do it, they are not far off at all. It could be a matter of weeks, according to Israeli and U.S. intelligence officials, which brings us to the second point, Mario. I believe that Israel eventually will be forced to act and act alone against Iran's nuclear program. Uh, I don't believe it's just bluster when Prime Minister Netanyahu and other Israeli leaders say, we are not going to allow Iran to acquire the bomb under any circumstances. You know, I interviewed Prime Minister Netanyahu a few months ago, Mario, and I said, 
why come back? You know, you're 73, you, you've had an incredible career, you're a historical figure. Why come back into the buzzsaw dealing with the media, Iran, the, the Biden administration? You don't need this. He said, no, no, no. I'm coming back for one reason. And not, I don't want to say one reason only, but certainly one main reason. He said, Iran, Iran, Iran. I believe Netanyahu sees himself as a Churchillian figure. He's an admirer of Winston Churchill, just as Winston Churchill in the late 1930s, early 40s, saw the gathering storm of Nazi Germany. He was sadly largely dismissed as an alarmist. Netanyahu has been sounding the alarm about the rise of a nuclear Iran for over 20 years, dismissed by the world who ran into the Iran nuclear deal in 2015. Historically, Churchill was proven right. I believe Bibi will be proven right. He's already being proven right. And I do believe that he thinks he is in this position for such a time as this to deal with the Iran nuclear program. All that said, on his watch, Iran will not go nuclear. I believe Israel will eventually take action. Uh, now, yeah. that will not be probably the easiest campaign. Uh, in 1981, Israel targeted one reactor in Iraq, Saddam Hussein's nuclear reactor. 2007, same deal, one reactor, Bashar al-Assad's reactor in Syria. This time around, Iran has several sites, and Iran is a vast country, several sites fortified, buried deep underground. So it will be challenging, but the IDF has certainly shown itself time and time again to be up to challenges. And the last point, Mario, you mentioned real quick, in terms of the Biden administration, uh, when the rubber hits the road, I mentioned I believe Israel will have to go it alone against Iran's nuclear facilities. I think that says it all. Yes, we reported last week that the U.S. is sending bunker-busting bombs to the Middle East. And you may say, wow, perfect. They can be used against those deeply fortified underground nuclear bunkers. But I don't think anyone really believes the Biden administration will actually use these bunker busters. And Iran just sees two things as they take that calculus. Number one, Iran and Iranian-aligned forces have carried out 78, 78 attacks against U.S. soldiers in Iraq and Syria since Joe Biden took office. The Biden administration has retaliated to those 78 attacks exactly three times. That's number one. Uh, secondly, the administration still, although the Iranian regime right now is cracking the skulls of protesters in the streets, uh, continuing to attack U.S. soldiers and developing the bomb, et cetera, et cetera, activating its proxies, still the Biden administration is clamoring for some sort of nuclear deal with the Iranian regime. So Iran says they're not going to do anything, and Israel is kind of beset in Iran's view, at least, by internal problems right now, perhaps this is the perfect time to escalate. That's Iran's view right now. Um, I spoke to some uh, Israeli officials, and it seemed like they could not go against Iran without the United States' consent. Is that true? And then where, what can Israel do? Israel has acted without U.S. consent in the past. No doubt. Uh, Lyndon Johnson, if, for instance, in 1967, did not want Israel to preemptively strike uh, in the Six-Day War. Thank God that Israel did, and they ignored uh, what Johnson was saying. Kissinger at times tried to rein Israel in, and Israel did what it needed to do 
uh, to protect the nation of Israel. And Netanyahu, other Israeli leaders have made clear again and again, we will go it alone if we have to. And they're making this point when Biden administration officials visit Israel on a frequent basis, Israeli leaders are making that point. We will do this alone if we have to. It's an existential threat. So if the Biden administration says, don't you dare, and Israel feels like Iran is on the very verge of the bomb, Israel will act. That said, ideally, the U.S. would be in lockstep with Israel on this in confronting Iran. Biden says, we'll never allow Iran to acquire the bomb, but many in the Middle East don't really feel that way. They don't feel like there's teeth behind those comments. I'll give you a great example, Mario, Saudi Arabia. It stunned a lot of us last month when China brokered a, what can only be called, I think, a peace deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Now, the Saudis aren't aligning themselves with Iran. Big difference. I would call this a non-aggression pact, where Saudi is saying, we'll leave you alone, you leave us alone. They're not aligning with Iran. But why did Saudi Arabia do this? They've been at loggerheads with the Iranian regime for seven years. I think two reasons. First, they see weakness in Washington, D.C. The Saudis don't believe they can count on the Biden administration to have their back against this looming Iranian superpower. And secondly, the Saudis see that internal divide in Israel. I think the Saudis were spooked. I think they made this, frankly, out of a position of weakness, they made this move. And the Iranian regime is not much for keeping their end of the bargain. So this is not something I see as a long-term and lasting peace. But the Saudis did it out of a feeling of desperation, I believe, in particular, and Israeli officials, I was in Israel recently, they said this, basically the the Biden administration, which has been hostile to the Saudis, basically pushed the Saudis into the mullah's arms in Tehran. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Very troubling times, but like you said, the the good news is God is on his throne and uh, this incredible prayer movement. Nobody knew what was going on, and uh, God uh, obviously is in control. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please read the show notes for additional details if you would like a copy of the book or resources mentioned. Remember that WellVersed is a 501c3 tax-deductible nonprofit organization. We rely on your support and partnership. Don't forget to hit subscribe to keep up to date with our latest episodes. Leave us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. Thank you for listening to the Well-Versed Podcast. For more information, please go to www.wellversedworld.org.